Thanks for joining us here at Thrive Church. We're a church passionate about moving people towards Jesus. For more information, go to our website, www.thrivechurch.co.za. Good morning, everybody. How's 10 o'clock? Alive and kicking. Any Liverpool fans in the house? There we are. And, you know, just in honor of Liverpool, to wear something red, right? Well done. They've walked a long road. It's been a long trophyless road for many years, but they've never walked alone. And well done. Sorry, Spurs. Hey, one of those things. Um, I heard a great story this week. Maybe you guys saw it in the press as well. Uh, it wasn't widely put out. It was actually more on social media. The story of the petrol attendant, a man called Nkosi Mbele. Have you seen this guy? What a legend this guy is. So... Um, for those of you who might be wondering about the story and what happened with this guy, he, he works down at a petrol station on the N2 highway in Cape Town. And he helped a young lady who was wanting to put in petrol. And as he started to pump the petrol, she realized that she didn't have her bank cards with her. And so uh, she said, oh, you better stop. I, I don't have my money with me. And he said, hey, listen, ma'am, it's all good. I can't possibly send you on your way on, onto the N2 highway with the prospect of you running out of petrol. So I'm gonna pay for your petrol. He put in 100 rands worth of petrol, paid with his card, and uh, I said to her, don't worry about it. Like he didn't take down her details or anything. Just said, when, you, when next you're around, just let me know and uh, you, can, you can pay me back. And uh, so she got to her destination safely. Anyway, she was so impressed. She put it on social media, it went viral immediately. And they've now started a backer buddy or a fund a friend campaign uh, for Nkosi. For and people have raised like thousands and thousands and thousands of rands for this guy just to say thank you for your generosity. So isn't it good to know that there's still people like that in the world hey? and in our country? <clears throat> I'm determined that every week at church, we're gonna tell a positive story about the people in our country. Because church should be a place where we celebrate the good in our country and, uh, and uh, the, the, the media does enough of a job of telling us all the bad news. So uh, church must be a different place. Church is a place where we celebrate the good stuff of which there's so, so much. And there's so many awesome people in our country, aren't there? We're in a series called Mastermind. Welcome to it. If you're new to church with us this morning or maybe visiting this morning because you had a baby being dedicated, uh, the series is called Mastermind and the thought behind it, why it's called Mastermind is that because it is very much possible for us to master our minds. We are not passive recipients uh, confined to the fate of whatever our thoughts tell us. It is possible for us as followers of Jesus to control our thinking for us to master what goes on in here. And our anchoring text over the last few weeks has been Proverbs 4.23. It reminds us, be careful how you think because your life is shaped by your thoughts. In the first week of our series, we reminded ourselves that the battles of life are won and lost in the mind, that our lives are always moving in the direction of our strongest thinking. We can't hope to have a positive life if we have a negative mindset, if we can change our thinking, we can change our lives. I followed it up in week two by saying that we don't by default, as human beings, we don't by default, a default to healthy, positive, God-honoring thinking, 
that doesn't just happen naturally for us, hey? That we've got to learn how to master our minds. And so when it comes to having a positive thought life, this is not some Oprah Winfrey, Dr. Phil, uh, uh, positive thinking seminar. Uh, it's anchored in the fact that the word of God is inherently positive, in the fact that people, the people of God need to be forward-looking and forward-thinking, and that we have a God on our sides. Amen. Last week, we learned so quickly about meditation. Meditation is not fold your legs, light a candle, put an incense stick up, get some rad music, and take some mind-altering substance and meditate. No. <laughs> meditation, biblical meditation, far from Eastern meditation, it's not about emptying your mind. Biblical meditation is about filling your mind with the things of God. We reminded ourselves that God has given us a very powerful way to, to meditate, and that is to meditate on Scripture. We learned how to sipo a Scripture, S-I-P-O. We approach it slowly. We approach it imaginatively. We imagine ourselves in the text. We approach it prayerfully, and we approach it obediently. God, what do you want me to know from this? And God, what do you want me to do as a consequence of this? So that was week one and week two. If you've missed any of those weeks, Oh, I really want to encourage you, you can grab hold of the podcasts of, the, of those messages, um, either one of them or any others. They'll be on thrivechurch.co.za under the podcasts, or they're also available under Apple Podcasts. So if you've got that app on your phone, you can grab it there. Next week, we start with Rands and Cents, a series about how to manage money so it doesn't manage you, how to control money so it doesn't control you, how to handle money so it doesn't handle you. Now listen, if your finances are not where you'd like them to be, do not avoid the series and play ostrich, hoy your head in the sand and hope that it comes right. How many of you here, quick poll, who of you don't look at your bank account when you hate what it's gonna show you? You're like, avoid it. Have you done that? Like, ah, I don't wanna look. I don't wanna look, it's too ugly. It's the worst thing we can do. So we're gonna, it's gonna be a positive series that's gonna be very, very helpful as we learn how to manage money next week. All good. Week three of Mastermind, let's pray. Father, we ask you that you would help us to focus. Lord, help us to put aside whatever's gone on in our week and, and give us the wisdom that comes from your word. Speak to us. Let your word be living and active in our lives. Let it change us and mold us and form us and shape us and let it encourage us, fill us with hope and strengthen us. Help it to move towards Jesus this morning, we pray in your name. And 10 o'clock said... Amen, amen. We speak to us this morning about how to reframe our thinking. Quick example for you to get you on the same page as to what we're talking about here. Picture for a moment a boss who now has to give feedback to two particular staff members, two employees. It's feedback time, it's performance appraisal time, and they've got to give feedback, but the feedback is not positive. The feedback is shaping, the feedback is kind of constructive criticism kind of feedback that this boss has got to give, right? He gives the feedback to employee A, who reacts, it blows up like a Box of, a box of matches, and I don't want to work in this place. Who wants to work in a place where they talk to you like, and they tell you what's wrong with you? And drama, right? You get the picture. Employee two reacts and hears the message and responds by saying, thank you so much for having the honesty to share that with me. Thank you so much for having the courage to tell me what I needed to hear so that I can be a better in this role. Same boss, same working environment, one reacts, one responds very differently. It's all about how they frame the feedback. Are you with me? 
It's not about the facts of what happens in our lives. It's about how we frame what happens in our lives. Are you with me this morning? Before we proceed, let me give us a quick definition of what I mean by reframing. Reframing is simply creating a different way of thinking, uh, of looking at something by changing its meaning. Reframing is creating a different way of looking at something by changing its meaning. Pastor Craig Rochelle tells the story of this little boy. He takes a baseball and a baseball bat out and he tells himself, I am the greatest batter in the world. He throws the ball up, he swings and he misses and he goes, well, it's only strike one. You got three strikes. I am the greatest batter in the world. Throws the ball up, swings, misses again. He goes, well, it's two strikes, still one to go. I am the greatest batter in the world. Last one comes, third, third time. Throws the ball up, swings and misses. Catches the ball and says, I'm the greatest pitcher in the world. I just pitched, struck out the greatest batter in the world, right? <laughs> it all depends upon how you frame it. It's not about the facts, it's about the frame. The Apostle Paul in Scripture, used to be known as Saul. He hated Jesus and he hated Jesus' church. One day he met Jesus on the road to Damascus and Jesus overpowered him with his goodness and with his glory and with his majesty. And Paul became a Christian. And Paul then not only became a Christian, Paul became the greatest missionary the world has ever known. He was responsible for the spread of the gospel like wildfire across the early church and across the early uh, first century world. Paul became the greatest missionary. Paul wrote two-thirds of the New Testament. You can read about his story in the book of Acts. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts. Fifth book of the New Testament. It tells you his story in great detail. It's a fascinating story. Paul was a master at reframing what happened to him. Paul was a master at doing this. Uh, we're about to read a text in the book of Philippians. Philippians is a letter that Paul wrote to this church in Philippi, hence it's called Philippians. Now, what you need to know about this text is that Paul wrote it to this church in Philippi. Paul loved this church. Paul had spent time at this church. Paul had spent three years of his life sowing and investing into the people at the church at Philippi. And he writes now from Rome to this church and he gives them some encouragement and some correction and he's, he's their pastor. What you need to know is that Paul writes from Rome where he had always wanted to be. Paul had always wanted to be in Rome, but he had wanted to preach from Rome. He'd wanted to preach in Rome. The reason is he had wanted to be able to preach to the influential people who were in Rome. It would be like going to the White House and being able to preach to the Senate. Paul's greatest desire was to do that. But God had other plans. In fact, Paul did find himself in Rome, but far from finding himself in the temples or in the, the courts of Congress, he finds himself in a prison cell in Rome. And this is where we find him when he writes this letter that we're gonna read now. I'm only gonna give us two verses this morning because that's enough, you know, we're gonna approach it um, 
because uh, we're going to approach it imaginatively, we're going to approach it slowly, we're going to approach it prayerfully, and we're going to approach it obediently to see what the text has to say to us. Here we go, Philippians chapter 1, verses 12 to 14. It says, and I want you to know, my dear brothers and sisters, that everything that has happened to me here has helped to spread the good news. For everyone here, including the whole palace guard, knows that I'm in chains because of Christ. That's an exceedingly important sentence, which we're going to dwell on a little bit later. Everyone here, including the whole palace guard, knows that I'm in chains because of Christ. In other words, Paul had preached to them, right? And because of my imprisonment, most of the believers here have gained confidence and boldly speak God's message without fear. Paul masterfully here in this text reframes what has happened to him. He finds himself in prison, not where he wants to be, but he reframes this and watch how he does it. Paul creates a different way of looking at what's happened to him by changing its meaning. Paul creates a different way of looking at the prison cell by changing the meaning of the prison cell. Watch how he does it this morning. Five masterful ways of reframing your circumstances. Number one, Paul reframes the kingdom of me for the kingdom of God. The kingdom of me, or the kingdom of Paul in this case, would go, oh, I'm in prison. I don't want to be in prison. I want to be in the courts. I want to be in Congress. I want to be in the most powerful places. That's the kingdom of me speaking. The kingdom of God speaking is, but you've got an opportunity here to do something nobody else has been able to do. The kingdom of God goes, the kingdom of God says, but the kingdom of God is advancing. I want you to notice very carefully this morning how Paul references two things about the advance of the kingdom of God. He goes, I'm in prison, but watch what it's done. Number one, it's may I've been able to preach to the gods, the palace gods. Number two, all the Christians outside of the prison where I'm at, all those Christians have become bolder and bolder. They've never been more bold with their faith than what they are now. Paul goes, the kingdom of me? Well, I'm in prison. But the kingdom of God, ah, oh, it's moving forward. I'm preaching to people nobody's reached before. The other believers out there, they're bolder than they've ever been before. More people than ever before getting to hear the news about Christ because I'm in prison. He reframes the prison in the light of purpose. Are you with me? He goes, kingdom of me, trading it in for the kingdom of God. I wonder how it would look in your life. I wonder what your circumstances would look like, those that are challenging to you if you reframed them in the light of what might the kingdom of God be up to in this? Number two, Paul reframes the negative for the positive. He goes, I'm in prison. That's the negative, right? That sucks. But what does it mean? It means the whole palace God gets to hear, like every God in the palace gets to hear the good news. 
Guess what, guys? He says, they send a new, a new God every eight hours. And I got nothing better to do than preach, and they got nothing better to do than guard me. They, they paid to look at me. So you know what? While they paid to look at me, I just look at them, and I preach the gospel to them for eight hours. And then they send a new God, and then I preach the gospel to that dude for another eight hours. Then they send another God, and I preach the gospel to that guy for eight hours. You see, he's not, far from looking at the negative, he's looking at the positive. There's an opportunity here. There's something I can do. Paul reframes the safe for the significant. He's like, oh, I'm in prison. I'd hope to be out there. I'd hope to be out with the influencers. I'd hope to be on Capitol Hill. I'd hope to be in Parliament. I'd hope to be in Congress. I'd hope to be in the temples. I'd hope to be in all these places where I can influence the influencers, right? And God's saying to him, that's way too safe, Paul. I've got something significant for you. There's something much more significant. Guess what this is? You're gonna preach to people that nobody else reaches. You're gonna preach to the, the prison God. You're gonna preach to the whole jail. Everybody in prison's gonna hear because of you. Now that's significant. You know, we've got a ministry called Cherished. It's um, run by a lady in our Edenvale campus. Cherished goes into um, places where, where women have been uh, enslaved in the sex trade. Goes into brothels and Houses of ill repute, like these sorts of places, goes, they go in there and they share Christ with these women. Now, Edenvale campus this morning, there were three, three ladies in church. Yes. Yes. That's significant. That's not safe. How beautiful is that? It's amazing what can be accomplished if we'll abandon some safety. God was saying, no, 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 out there is too safe, Paul. I've got something significant for you to do here. I wonder how your life would look. I wonder how that challenge would look if you'd realize that maybe God's just moving you out of safety into some more significance. Paul reframes the victim as the victorious. He goes, I'm in prison. Would have been easy for Paul to play the victim card at that time. Hey, I'm in prison. Not fair. God, that wasn't my plan. You know, in South Africa, we love the victim mentality at times, hey? We, we're victims of, our, of past injustice, victims of present injustice. Some of us are inventing victims of future injustice. Hasn't even happened yet, and we're already victims. We've decided we're going to be victims. You with me? Hey? I need some amens out there. I know it hurts to admit it, but we've got to admit what we, what we do. And Paul goes, now I'm trading in, I'm, I'm reframing victim as victorious. I, I get to win because I've got a purpose. God's got a plan for what's what, my prison. There is a plan for your prison. He goes, well, I'm still victorious. I thought my pulpit would be the the temples, I thought my pulpit would be parliament. I thought it would be Congress. I thought it would be all the places of influence. He goes, yeah, instead your pulpit's a prison cell. Well, I still win because I still get to preach the gospel. Yeah. Fifth, Paul reframes the obstacle as an opportunity. Well, there's a big obstacle to me preaching to the people I thought I was gonna be, so I'm just gonna take the opportunity to present the gospel to the people that God has given me. Sometimes we get so fixated, hey guys, on the obstacle, we forget to look what the opportunity is. Do you know there are people in our church across our campuses, there are business people in our church who are absolutely killing it. They're making more money than they've ever made before. 
they are doing fantastically well. You know why? Because they're seeing the opportunity where everybody else sees obstacles. Chatted to a business guy in our church just this last week. He's telling, we were talking about some stuff in the economy. He goes, ah, oh, but I've, I've spotted the gap in that. And I'm in that gap. And I'm going to own that gap. And I'm going to dominate that gap. See, victim, victorious. Obstacle, opportunity. It's all about how you frame. It's not the facts, it's the frame. When I look at Paul here, and I look at, I look at how he writes, and I read the scripture imaginatively, right? I put myself in it. I'm like, imagine I was Paul in that prison. Like, you it would suck, Right? I put myself in there and I'm asking myself the question. You see, that's the power of reading the scripture imaginatively where you put yourself in it. You can't but ask yourself the question, how does the guy get there like that? How does he get to the point where he's able to write like this? How does Paul reframe the, the, the obstacle for the opportunity, the victim for the victorious, the kingdom of me for the kingdom? Of, how is he able to do that? It's frustrating to me. I'll tell you, there's one secret that he's got. It's very clear from his writing. It's, it's embedded in the scripture. If you look, you'll see it. Here's the thing, here's how. Paul was connected to a purpose greater than himself. He knew my purpose on this earth is to share Christ's love with people. He knew that was what God had put him on this earth for. Guess what? We're all Paul. Your purpose is not different to Paul's. We are here to share Christ's love, the good news, the gospel. That's our purpose. I get young adults coming to me, oh, what's my purpose? What's my purpose? What's my... Your purpose is to become like Christ and share his love with the world. If you wanna know what God's purpose for your life is, is become more like Jesus and share his love with him. If you wanna know what your purpose in life is, is to be with Jesus, become like him, do what he did. So Paul's clear and Paul... Ta- Paul Paul accesses his purpose here when he needs to reframe his unfortunate circumstances. Here's here's the thing. Paul loved the purposes of God more than he loved his own life. Paul loved the purpose and the plan that God had for him more than he loved his own comfort and convenience. Let me phrase it differently. Paul was more concerned about the gospel than he was about his own comfort. Paul loved the spread of the gospel more than he did his own life. That's why he can sit in prison and go, well, I was hoping to be somewhere else, but I'm preaching the gospel. But guess what? Others are bolder because of it. Are you with me? I've got bad news and good news. Which one do you want first? Bad news or good news? Shout it out. Which one do you want first? You want the bad first? Bunch of bad, you like your bad news first. The bad news is this. Are you you waiting for it? I've got to deliver the bad news. Don't shoot the messenger. God is more concerned with his purposes than he is with your comfort. Some of you are giving me looks here. God is more concerned 
with your character development than he is with your convenience. There's no other way to make what is happening with Paul here. Paul loves something more than himself. Problem with our society is we love ourselves too much. Yes, every action, selfie this and that and profiling that and posturing here and imaging here and putting there. Ah, yinna. Never has a generation been more in love with itself than today. We've all got our own brand and our own like, it's distasteful I need some amens that was a really I paused for you to say amen (laughs) but the the key the key to what's going on with Paul is that he hear me he loves God more than he loves himself are you with me and that's why he can say what he says And so Paul reframed what was happening to him in the context of what it meant for his purpose, not what it meant for his comfort. And so he could reframe the discomfort of prison with the joy of the gospel being preached because he loved Jesus more than his own comfort. He loved the gospel more than his own convenience. And so Paul goes, prison, ah, ah, sucks. But, but the gospel's being preached. Our frustrations. Have you ever been so frustrated you want to self-combust? Like you feel like you could combust? Hey, like you could like explode. You know, I was driving on the N3 highway on Friday afternoon, coming back from Santon this way. (sighs) Do you know those people who drive in in the yellow lane along the highway, because their time's more important than anybody else. You know those people, if you're one of them, just look straight ahead now, don't look. <laughs> you know those people? And they come by, I, is it just me? You're looking at me with judgmental looks. I want, to, I want to self-combust with frustration when I see those guys doing that, right? It's our frustrations. They're challenging, aren't they? But I've, we, we must learn to reframe it in the context of character development. Jesus, what are you forming in me in this moment? I will allow you to form something in me in this moment. I'll allow you to form patience. I'll allow you to form humility. I'll allow you to form kindness. When it's really bad, I'll allow you to save me over and over, Jesus. I need repeated salvation. Hardships, financial hardships, they're challenging. But we can reframe it in the context of it's making me more dependent upon his presence and less dependent upon his provision. You know, sometimes, we, I don't know if you feel this, I do, hey, when we're really praying for something, we spend, we, a lot of our weight is on the provision and less on the presence. And maybe in that moment of hardship that you figure out, maybe what Christ is forming in us, what the Christ in us that's being formed there is that maybe we should hunger and thirst for his presence as equally as desperately as what we do for his provision. Are you with me? Illness, 
that illnesses, health challenges can be so challenging. But we reframe it as an opportunity to exercise our faith once again. Our God is a healing God and he is able to heal. He is. But even if he doesn't, he's still good. He's still faithful. His mercies are still new. Every morning. Transitional seasons. Oh man, I don't know about you, but those are the seasons where things can go wonky, hey? When, when last did you hear the word wonky? Isn't that a great word? Wonky. Look a little bit wonky, right? It's just, you know what I mean by wonky. So you've got to go home and say, what did you learn in church? I, learned, I remembered the word wonky today. <laughs> but you know, when you go from school to university, things can go... People, we lose our way in these moments. You go from university to first job. All of a sudden, you have to wake up early every day of the week, Monday to Friday, not, not like a student where students just chill. Maybe you go from single to married or married to divorced or uh, a loved one dies. You know, these are seasons of transition, the way we transition from one space to Things can go wonky at that time. They're challenging, but we can reframe it as an opportunity to learn wisdom. We, we reframe it. God, this season is a moment. It's an opportunity. It's a season upon me now to ask for wisdom. I'm gonna tap into wisdom of people around me. I'm gonna learn wisdom that I can from your word. I'm not just gonna walk through the season like a muhu thinking nothing's happening. Are you with me? Unfair treatment. Maybe you got fired from your job unfairly. Maybe you got sexually harassed at your job. It's not fair. It's challenging but we can reframe it as an opportunity to learn to forgive as Christ forgave us. We learn to love the life of Christ being formed in us more than the life we want. You know, breakups, relational breakups, they can be challenging. You thought that guy was it? Turns out he's more like it the clown. You know that dude? Looks friendly until he bears his teeth and you're like, hey. <laughs> Some of you are gonna go Google, it's the clown now. That's what <laughs> we reframe it as an opportunity for God to bring the right person into our lives. And so guys, we learn to love his purposes more than our own, hey? We learn to be more concerned with his glory than our own gratification. That's what's going on with Paul here. That's what's happening. Kind of like, I think he could have written these words by C.S. Lewis. All these toys were never intended to possess my heart. My true good is in another world and my only real treasure is Christ. How do we get there? Mentally, how do we, how do we move ourselves to a place where we're able to be like Paul? Well, I wanna give you a thought exercise quickly that I hope will be helpful to you. Now ask us, just for a couple minutes, would you, just for a minute or so, would you be gracious enough just to uh, close your eyes and imagine with me for a moment. What I'm asking you to imagine with me for a moment as you close your eyes is that every single person on planet Earth, every person, all seven billion of us on the planet Earth, 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 
are continually focused on loving you and, are, and working and arranging things for your good. All seven billion are focused on your good and focused on working for and arranging things for your good. It's an amazing thought, isn't it? Everybody on planet, I mean, they're not doing anything else other than just thinking about you. It's pretty cool. Now, if that was the case, you wouldn't experience anxiety about how your life was gonna turn out, would you? Because you've got seven billion people on your side. Okay, you can look up for a moment. If you follow Jesus, if you follow Jesus, the reality is we're in a better position than that. Because the creator and sustainer of this universe is working with his infinite wisdom, infinite time, and infinite energy for your good and my good. How do I know it? Because the Bible tells me so. In fact, the same man who wrote the words in Philippians that we just read now writes one of the great texts in all of scripture in Romans 8, 28. We know that in everything. God works for good. Please notice the text does not say that in everything God works for your comfort or for your convenience or for your warm and fuzziness. It does not say that God is working together for your good vibes. It's working together for your good. Working together for your good. And the same man who wrote and reframed what was happening to him in Philippians writes these words. That's what's going on with Paul. That's why he's able to reframe the way he is. Because more than just believing that seven billion people are working for his good, Paul acknowledges that the one who created the universe sustains it with his words is the same one who has your life in the palm of his hand. Therefore, whether I'm in prison or not. I love what he wants to do more than I love what I want to do. I love what he wants to do in and through my life more than what I want my safety, security, comfort, and convenience of my life. It's not about the facts of what happens to us. It's about the frame with which we view them. Let me maybe pull this all together with one visual for you. Kind of like a, ment a visual pictorial summary of what I've been saying to us. On the screen, you'll see a picture of a stormy day. You'll notice the stormy clouds are up on the left-hand side and there's a bit on the right. And then between that, there's this beautiful sense, almost like after we've had a beautiful Joburg thunderstorm, hey? A whole lot of sunlight and beautiful just clouds clearing, sunlight coming through, beautiful colors. It's a beautiful scene, isn't it? The thing is though, if you only frame the storm clouds, 
That's what your life's gonna look like. That's what you're gonna see. That's what you're gonna focus on. There's a whole lot of other stuff in the picture. The picture looks very different, but you're looking at the storm clouds. And you've framed mentally the storm clouds. Is it any wonder then that our lives resemble storm clouds when we frame them? Because that's the picture that we see. That's the picture we transmit. That's the picture we give. That's the picture we believe for. That's the picture that we have in our minds of what our life is gonna look like. But if I had to say to you, hey, reframe that. Put the frame in a different place. All of a sudden the picture looks filled with hope, filled with lights, filled with sunlight, filled with some beautiful stuff. It's not about the facts. The facts are the whole picture. It's about the frame and where you put the frame in your life. We ask you this morning, what are you looking for? What are you looking for? You know, a buzzard looks for dead carcasses. And guess what it does? Finds them, right? What about the honey badger? Or the, what do they call that bird? Hummingbird. The hummingbird, not the honey badger, the hummingbird. <laughs> honey badgers aren't birds. The hummingbird. Hummingbird looks for what? Looks for the nectar? Guess what it finds? What you look for, you will find. What you frame will be what your life looks like. Let's pray. God, thank you for your grace and your love and your mercy in our lives. Thank you that you're so interested in us. Thank you that you love us more than we love ourselves. And thank you that we discover the love that you have for us in the abandonment of ourselves. Thank you that it's when we give ourselves up to you that we discover life and peace and purpose. Thank you that we can abandon ourselves in the pursuit of something greater. This morning as we close the series on thinking, we give you our thoughts, we surrender them to you, we give them to you, we ask you, ask you to come and to change them. Help us to be wise and apply what it is that you've taught us today. Help us to be wise, diligent people, not just hear a message on Sunday, Monday, go straight back to our lives, make no difference. Help us to apply and to reframe, help us to realize it's not about the facts, it's about the frame. Give us the courage to reframe what we need to reframe, the negative for the positive, kingdom of me for the kingdom of God, the safe for the significant, the victim for the victorious. Help us with that, we pray. This morning, if you've never made a decision to follow Jesus, I'd love to lead you in that moment. What it means is that you're reframing faith you're reframing faith. Here's how it works. You reframe faith in yourself for faith in Jesus. I'm gonna ask while every head is bowed and eye closed to give, a, give us here in our church, we love to give people space to be able to do this. So we serve them well by giving space. 
If you've never made a decision to follow Jesus, this morning it's your moment and opportunity to do that because you're gonna reframe faith in yourself. You can't save yourself. You can't improve yourself. You can't change yourself. You can't forgive yourself. You can't remove your sin. There's only one name above every other name that can do that. You're gonna reframe faith in yourself this morning for faith in Christ. This morning, I'm inviting you to move over from the driver's seat of your life, get into the passenger seat and invite Christ to come and take the wheel. If you'd like to do that this morning, in just a moment, I'm gonna get to the count of three. I'm gonna ask you to respond. And even now, I believe the faith's rising in your heart and you're deliberating, you're wondering, should I do this? Absolutely, this is the moment to do it. I'm gonna get to three. This just so that there's a moment where everybody knows, hey, this is my time to respond. And I'm gonna ask you simply to raise your hand. I'm gonna see you and say, God bless you, thank you. I'm gonna acknowledge you. I'm not gonna call you out. I'm not gonna identify you. I'm not gonna do anything weird to you. We're not that kind of church. We just wanna love you and serve you. And so on the count of three, as you respond, I'm gonna say thank you. And then we're gonna to pray together. Right, if that's you this morning, gonna reframe your life. Faith in yourself, it doesn't work. I know we've tried it. Put your faith in Him. Ready on the count of three. Ready, one, two, three. Hands up all across this place. Yes, yes, so many. God bless you guys. God bless you, God bless you, God bless you. God bless you. God bless you up in the balcony. That's awesome. Thank you. Come keep responding if you wanna respond this morning. God bless you. That's awesome. That's awesome. That's awesome. Come, let's stay in this moment together. And Pastor Ken's gonna pray for us. This message was recorded live at Thrive Church. We hope that it inspired you to move towards Jesus.